movies were never safe to begin with, and the truth is stranger than fiction. Starring Moral Bob, Drew Misson, and Andy Rouse. Conspiracy Theater 3000. Our impulses are being redirected. We are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. Something given has no value. Well, I got a couple of thousand goddamn questions, you know? The world ain't what it seems, is it, Gunny? I want to speak to someone in charge. The moment you think you got it figured, you're wrong. Enforce, my friends, is violent. They've been studying it for years, fighting our weaknesses. I want a lot to complaint. <laughs> you're safe and alive. You're already dead, everybody. They have created a repressive society, and we are their unwitting accomplices. The world is a business. You have no right to make people crazy. We've got to stop them! They're going to kill us all! How come I know so much? Their intention to rule rests with the annihilation of consciousness. What the hell is going on around here? Who's going on, you people? They are safe as long as they are not discovered. That is their primary method of survival. Keep us asleep, keep us selfish, keep us sedated. We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. With which we're presented. With which we're presented. Welcome back to Conspiracy Theater 3000. Here I am joined by the not-so-humble host, Moral Bob, and <laughs> the wonderful Ryan Dean. Welcome back, gentlemen, for our second Christmas-themed episode. Hey, couldn't be happier to be back here. Happy Hanukkah to you guys, especially Bob, who's really been a wet blanket since we started. Jeez. <laughs> a wet blanket, man. I'm sorry to shit on your favorite movie. Oh, it's got the green no, I'm just here. kidding, Bob. Hey, everyone gets their own opinions, man. Uh, Remember, no, opinions are like it, assholes, though, because everyone's got one. Absolutely. It don't. Hey, don't try to keep me from speaking my truth. And it is funny because Bob has big opinions, big opinions. And if by that logic, he's got a big asshole too, right? Uh, no, Bob, you know, I love you, man. We were talking yesterday. I hope that you're feeling better, man. Yeah, man. It's a, it's been a wild ride, dude. I'm, I'm usually, uh, usually fairly healthy and uh, fucking take care of your teeth, folks. Fucking hey, like. Take care of your teeth. You only get one permanent set, and when they're fucked up, it sucks. Mm. So that's my moral of the story randomly in this. Would you be up for genetically modifying yourself with a great white DNA so you could just grow rows of teeth every time they fall out? No, it'd be cool, though. But Get some straight shark action up in that? I just wish I knew how to take care of, like, you know, I wish I was taking care of my teeth the way I should have been a lot earlier. But whatever. <laughs> Well, enough, we were man. talking about this a little bit yesterday. I, I don't know how much it matters if you take care of your teeth because, you know, people have different heart issues. People have, you know, diabetes. People have like they're more prone to different diseases, no matter what they do. Like, you know, the heart thing. I, I, I was telling you yesterday, I'm probably going to die of a heart attack or a stroke at some point in my life, but I'll never have any problem with my teeth ever. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. and you'll have problem with your teeth, but, you know, maybe that's your thing. And I don't know, man. I'd rather have fucked up teeth than uh, than like heart, heart issues. Problems? Not that your teeth are fucked up. Probably. No, they're not bad. I mean, for somebody that hadn't gone to the dentist in 20 years, you really couldn't tell. I mean, that's what I'm saying, dude. Count your I blessings, saw. buddy. Yeah. Mate, yeah. You, you had a tooth pulled, getting very close to a British smile. You're practically a Commonwealth member at this point. Right. 
Yeah, there's <laughs> less teeth in in my mouth now, which is great. All right, less gentlemen, to worry about. We are here to break down the 2015 a Christmas horror film starring William Shatner. Christmas. Christmas. The most magical time of year. Now tell me we will find the perfect Christmas tree. It's Christmas. Christmas is all about forgiveness and family and tradition. Santa, lots of kids are depending on tonight going off without a hit. But in Bailey Downs this Christmas, it's different. Exactly one year ago, last Christmas Eve, the school was the scene of an unimaginable crime. You still want to go down there just for some stupid school assignment? I get to any door in the school. This is Krampus, right? What's a Krampus? He's like an anti-Santa Claus. A demon who punishes the naughty. He whips them, chains them up, stuff like that. That's fun. It's the elves. I fear they may all become infected. How did it all come to this? Trapped down here, and there's a psychopath on the loose. Bring the changeling back to the forest. That ain't your son. Did you not see what he did? The atmosphere here in Bailey Downs is truly grim this holiday season. This one, I gotta say, was a great storyline. Multiple storylines, in fact. Now you have described it as like an anthology, didn't you, Ryan, in the previous episode? So what's going on here? How many stories are being told within this film? Well, shoot, I don't have notes, but I think it's gotta be I mean, there's a framing device, which is Will Shatner, right? For those out there that aren't as you know, we all went to film school, right? So that's why we have this show. And so we we you know, we can break down things like a framing device, which is basically like an out, uh, you know, from uh, an outside looking in, it's, it's kind of like you're, uh, you're basic leading you from point A to point B to point C. That's your framing device. And Will Shatner is that in this, right? And then you just kind of have like several different stories. I want to say there's five. Does that sound right? Five different stories? I, I think there's three. I think there's four in total. Um, and William okay. Shatner's framing device has the fifth story kind of going on at the same time. And like okay. e- everything ties into it. All these characters have an overlap somewhere along the lines in these stories, which is quite, quite neat. Right. And that's what I really enjoyed about it because there is a, for lack of a better term, uh, and I think that this is the, the term that they taught us in film school, a Shyamalan twist, right? At the end. And and there is that. I mean, it's absolutely a Shyamalami or Shyamalan twist where you're you're kind of expecting one thing and then it goes a different direction. And I just thought it was fun, man. Obviously, a Christmas horror story playing off of the classic American classic that we watched last time, A Christmas Story. And um, it really should be called, you know, a, a Christmas horror stories because, like you said, there's several of them. But at the same time, it does lead into one story. And I think it was just a. I think it was well done. I, you know, we got to have some fun with these things. And I just thought it was a blast, dude. Every time I watch it, I get nice and fucked up 
and I watch it, and it's a good time. It's fun. It is a fun movie. Um, yeah. Each story is could be something really amazing on its own. Like, dude, the right. Santa going crazy. Oh, that right. like I would love to see that be a high budget film because that could be stellar. Watching that, my favorite. To your point, Bob, my favorite story, and I don't want to give too much away. My favorite story is the Changeling story, oh, and yeah. that would be a great <laughs> two hour long movie. You know yep. what I mean? But at the same time, um, with the attention span that people have, I mean, this was made in 2015, just before Trump took office. We know how the attention span was for a lot of people. Uh, and, and it's gotten, you know, exponentially worse since then. I think that these short stories have some merit, man. And I love anthologies, dude. Anthologies can always be built on more. But for me, even, you know, I talk shit about people with short attention spans. I am one of these people, man. I have a short attention span. So I do enjoy 15-minute, 20-minute stories that all kind of tie together. And it's just flashy. And it's boom, boom, boom. Here you go. This is the action. And and there's some some jump scares and good stuff like that, too, in this. Oh, I was, dude. I'm, I, I'm rarely caught with those. But when the girl falls out of the ceiling, it got me. It got yeah. me. I wasn't ready. There's a couple. <laughs> I was honestly shocked that this was from 2015 and they didn't franchise it. They didn't have successive films year after year with different stories being told. Because that right. whole idea of the Christmas horror film has become a big subgenre in itself. Like our mutual Ooh, friend, Chad right? X, he's the biggest consumer of Christmas horror movies that I know of. And this would have been right up his alley, I believe. So it's surprising they haven't gone further with this because I think it set a pretty good precedence for what single one-off horror Christmas stories can be. Now, had Chud seen this, Drew? Did, do you know if Chud I don't know if he it? has. Okay. I bet he has, man. I if I had to ask him, I bet he has. Yeah. Because, yeah, I know he's a big horror film uh, buff, and so is his lady, right? They're both into horror movies. I know yeah. that because they're, uh, they they showed me some uh, Garbage Pail Kids that were horror movie themed, <laughs> and I thought those were the shit. But, yeah, yeah man, uh, I don't know what it is. Like, there's something that is magical about mixing horror with Christmas. I think this is why, you know, the, the whole Jack Skeleton thing. Um, what is that damn movie called? Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Um, that that's why that thing took off so well. It's such a foreign concept to a lot of people out there. Christmas is just like a purely good time, right? With no no negative energy, no scariness to it. And when you when you mix something that's so opposite as to Halloween or or just scariness in general, some kind of horror mixed with like this time of family and time of giving and positivity it's it's a really creepy idea and then as we've gotten older we start to see like dude this is a, a depressing time of year for a lot of people there's a lot of negative energy going around this time of year right it's cold yeah. it's dark it's weird it's different right all the lights a lot of red lights a lot of weird energies going around so i think it's just kind of a a fun thing to highlight with the horror in this time well do you think the start at least of it being a popular genre was from something like gremlins because gremlins is a christmas movie and you know that kind of eased everybody into the christmas horror genre to be able to see christmas movies a, a different way because up to then i mean it was it was pretty much um uh it was pretty much fucking warm and fuzzy shit right you know, yeah like batman too. On 31st and 4th street and it's almost well, but as yeah, if, Batman. 
it's almost as if they're they're moving away from the idea of the hallmark all Americana Christmas, tying back to the somewhat spooky pagan roots of a lot of the the Christmas traditions, and it's harkening back to something that's maybe internalized within all of us that we're starting to remember. Yeah, what's scarier than offering down. offering cookies and milk to some random guy that comes into your house? You have to give him a literal <laughs> sacrifice and offering. Right. Well, and he's a he's a fat white guy. I mean, Santa would be a MAGA supporter, well, he's, right? He's, I mean, he, he's also magic. Like, so right. it's this. I'm just saying he's yeah. a fat bearded white dude. I'm not trying to go that deep with it yet. He's a fat dude that's white <laughs> with a beard. He's straight, right? He has a wife. Yeah. That's that's yeah, the I, devil right there. I like the uh, the idea of tough guy Santa. So, like, have you seen this idea the, too in, of the hot Santa? I don't like the hot Santa. Is that for like no. Jewish girls who have some kind of internalized hatred towards themselves? And they yeah, they hate Santa daddy. Sexually, yeah. And they yeah. love the idea because it's a Christian thing. No, it's <laughs> it's some some stupid thing that I saw on TV, man. Kim actually pointed it out to me where it's like, it, you know, this burly dude, he's not fat, he's buff, right? He doesn't have the dad bod. Uh, he's like just a big kind of ripped dude. And it's Santa Claus, but he's strong and he doesn't have the white beard. It's like dark um it's weird man i I, i'm not i'm not comfortable with this idea of an attractive santa i think santa's (laughs) supposed to be fat and ugly and make the three of us look like 10 now we know what you're now we know what you look for in a man dark beard buff you know it's all right no i'm i look for santa right (laughs) i sat on his lap as a kid i know you guys did too there's something weird about that too by the way oh of course of course the whole the whole thing is is just a weird concept and like christmas has always been this weird thing to me um because like once i learned that like it wasn't it was just like a celebration of jesus's birthday and it was i was like wait a minute what y'all told me the whole time that when i was a kid that this was jesus's birthday and now i'm finding out that it's not really his birthday and it's just it's also Mithras's we... birthday what and freaking the all these giants. different pagan gods. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's strange. Yeah, yeah. All it's right. also when the sun dies and then comes back for three days. Yeah. Yet we have yeah. our summer solstice here, and it's the longest. It's just the longest day in the year before it starts to get uh, dark again, which is very different from what you guys experience. So the whole idea of this dark, depressing type of Christmas. Just doesn't happen for us. We're on the beers. Mm. We're on the beach. We're having a good time. Let's <laughs> set the tone for these films, gentlemen. Uh, a Christmas, a Christmas horror story rather, tells the tale of an interwoven story that takes place on Christmas Eve, as told by a festive radio host. A family brings home a, more than a Christmas tree. A student documentary becomes a living nightmare. A Christmas spirit terrorizes them, and Santa slays evil. That's just a brief, tiny synopsis of four stories all going on at once. Which story do we want to break down first? Because we discussed this off the air, but it interweaves so much, it might be a bit confusing. So if we focus on the main storyline of one story first and yeah. then completely go through, that's probably going to be easier for the, the audience to listen to. I'd say we and end I will... with the Santa one. Yeah, I'd agree. The Santa one's a big twist. Yeah, I would I would start the way that the movie presents it with the the kids, the high school kids, or maybe like young college kids yeah. breaking into their cool, old cool. high school. Yeah, so the first story is of Dylan, Ben, and Molly Simon. These are three teenagers who have decided to break into their high school, which is used 
which was used as a covenant in its early days in order to investigate two murders that occurred at the school's basement the year prior. And we see the start of this film with Molly somehow got hold of some police footage of the murder scene itself and some creepy stuff going on in that scene. We've got two bodies. We have one guy that's pinned up against the wall, almost crucified. And we have another dead body. What did we notice in that scene, gentlemen? What was going on? Well, the dude that was crucified was backward. Like, he was facing the wall. His arms were, were, yeah, it was all inverted. And his face was yanked around and half his face was taken off. It was really fucking crazy. (laughs) Like, the practical effects are pretty decent in this movie. Um, And there's clearly been some kind of ritualistic killing. Right. Yeah, 100%. One thing that was a big problem for me was Molly's face. And I know that that sounds really stupid, but Molly, um, she is a ginger, right? Nothing against that. But she, I mean, she has like a weird, she looks like she's smelling farts the entire time. Did you guys notice that? (laughs) I'll show you. Drew, if you don't mind me sharing. I thought she was hot. (laughs) Well, share, share, let me share my screen real quick. Uh, I. Oh, I mean, she, she looks like this. She's cute, right? She's a cute girl, but she's always making this face like she's smelling farts, like her nose is like flared out. You'll see what I'm talking about here. Um, so check this out. I well, the, the acting like, is very low level, so maybe she's just nervous. Oh, yeah. That's when yeah. she's possessed. Come on. That's what yeah. I'm saying. But her nose, is, she always looks yeah, like she's she smelling t- a fart. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it. <laughs> I don't know. You can't tell me. So, Great. yeah, dude. I Breeding just think specimen. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, that's hilarious. She is cute. She would be cute. But, like, her, you know, her uh, actor, acting coach needs to tell her to be like, hey, why don't you have, take that take that face I'm going to make that bit. face the whole show now. Right. Yeah, just like this. Just flare your nose out a little bit and just act a little, little disgusted. I'm going to point right. out one thing. So as soon as they jumped into the, the cutaway of showing what happened in the police investigation, it was titled at the bottom of the screen as walkthrough hashtag 9696. Do you want to pick up on that? Yeah. What's the significance of the 96? Because um, I see that a lot. So Palms 96, declaring the glory of God to the entire world. Now, if this is inverted, which I think it is, it's not declaring the glory of God to the world. It's declaring the glory of the Antichrist to the world. Mm, through what I think okay. is happening in this story. The anti-Santa, as they the call him in this movie. <laughs> the anti-Santa. Anti-Santa. Um, <laughs> um, and, and if you look at um, it as a, a new age type of number, it's, they call it an angel's number. Um, it's supposed to be a sign of the universe to let go of material attachments and prepare for a new beginning. So we're giving away the material attachments of a stereotypical uh, Christmas movie and we're moving into a new beginning of a horror Christmas movie. And ironically, it's the start of the film. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, man. There's a, there's a lot more to it because this starts and, and, and you know, it only gives it to you a little bit in the beginning. And then it jumps because, you know, you mentioned it, that it jumps around from, you know, the first story to the second story, third story, fourth story. And then that framing yeah. device kind of kind of idea wraps it all together. But I, I didn't get too much symbolism from this first one personally. 
my main one was the the changeling story like i was talking about that's my favorite by a country mile i mean this that that's a really really interesting one to me but i'm interested what else you guys have with uh this first one here um what was written on the wall within that murder scene which they then find again later on the wall in the school in the same spot it is also a 9-6 connection. It's from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's what's mm. scrolled across the wall. So it's almost like they're trying to bring about, like I said, that Antichrist. And we kind of see this later on with what happens to Molly uh, and the possession that she goes under in this story. Mm. Yeah, these wow. possessions are weird, right? Like it, And then they come out of it. Like she comes out of it after being possessed. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, so the, so the overall idea is that these kids are in, a, uh, in like a multimedia class in high school and they're creating this documentary and they think they're being cool. They've got keys for the school. They've broken in. They've gone down to the basement where originally it was a covenant for nuns where girls who are unmarried would give birth to their bastard children, right? So it's a dark place. There's a lot of weird energy going on. As soon as they go down, they don't realize that the keys they have doesn't open the door at the top. It's like it has a different lock on the other side. None of the keys seem to work in it. So they get trapped in this basement, in this dark, spooky place, on the anniversary of when these people died. And that's when we start to see some of the uh, more spiritual scenes happening with ghosts popping up. A few of those early jump scares where they look at something and it's a ghost with bleeding eyes and they turn away and they come back and it's just a mannequin. These yeah. types of stereotypical horror film things start to pop up, which is quite cool. Yeah, yeah it's a uh, like the the overall theme is that is that you find out these people are kind of terrible. All of these people are terrible. I mean, they're all bad people, and it says that in the beginning. It says uh, that Krampus comes after the wicked or something like that. Um, I don't know if it used the word wicked or you know, whatever it said, whatever adjective, but um, it says that he goes after the bad people and these people are all kind of shitty. So, what? you know, are, are you talking about all the people in all the stories? Yeah. The mom from uh, the, the changeling story is not bad, right? Well, she was she's a very good bitchy. mother. Well, she's bitchy, but I, I think that she's trying to protect her kid, right? She lost her kid. Krampus she lost her. her kid. <laughs> she, she lost her kid. You sure. know, like was too busy bickering to pay attention to where her kid was at. You know, was... yeah, maybe she was a little. And too then there was the the situation with the father before he had he had gone into that um, that murder scene right at the police station that massacre, and you know it doesn't really give too much backstory on it. But... Random tangent: that family that we're talking about there. They're an African-Canadian family. I know this is an imaginative horror story. Do black people really live in Canada, or is it too cold? No, there's no black people that live in Canada. Not at all. I thought it was a fairy tale. <laughs> it's a fact. They lied yeah, no, to me. Yeah, yeah uh, there's z- zero black people that live in Canada, 100%. <laughs> That's why they call it the Great White North. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not because so, it's cold. <laughs> yeah, it's just they're not allowed there. <laughs> good question though uh, that is a great question just learning about america and canada all the time the more you know <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> to get back on track 
So Molly, Dylan and Ben, they're down in this basement. They find where the murders have taken place and they find some of the records of um, some of the people that were kept there. And one was a girl who was supposedly gone in to have, uh, to give birth to a child who was supposedly born by virgin birth didn't have a father at all and no one believed this girl and being like the 1950s or 60s or whatever and when it took place they just thought she was a slut the interesting thing is this girl tried to kill the baby abort it and that's how she died and this is the ghost we see haunting them within this film we soon right. find out that the ghost is going after molly specifically it's like it's looking for a vessel to kind of inhabit to complete the birth like the baby that was aborted needed to be born. And we see that through like the statement we got of Isaiah chapter um, nine, verse six. And it starts to separate them off. It possesses the girl, goes off into the room in which the girl had aborted the baby in, and she gets Ben into the room, which is um, the Asian guy, which is the the filmographer. Mm -hmm. And she tries to seduce him, tries to mount him. And he's like, oh, this isn't going to happen. I've got a girlfriend. He's this nice guy. And he pulls her down and it cuts away. We don't know what's happened to him. She kind of saunters on in, into the room where we find the nice guy, Dylan, who's just kind of sitting back and relaxing. And she starts seducing him. And we know that he had a thing for her at the start because he's kind of flirting with her at the start, getting nowhere, complete dork, checking her ass out half the time. And you can tell this a demon in her because it's just completely after sex. Nothing else. It's like a, a succubus just going after it. Right. wants to date. Mounts him, takes his cock out. Now this, this is this is a, this isn't a family show, people, so it's okay. Mounts <laughs> no, the kid, isn't. mounts the kid, <laughs> gets him to climax. At which point, once she gets up, like you said, Bob, she comes back, like she doesn't know what's happened, and she gives this guy a look, like, "Oh my god, what'd you do to me? Did you date rape me?" And he's like, "What'd you? What I do to you? What'd you do to me?" Typical yeah, woman shit, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Fucking take advantage of a guy and then blame it on them. Hashtag not all men. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Horrible. It's happened to me many times, guys. Sad, man. Really. Yeah. Hey, don't feel <laughs> bad travesty. for me. I'm here just to share my story. Yeah, so the this ghost, the ultimate goal of this this being is to to have the baby. And so then they when they say they don't want to go along with it, they start. That's when this ghost starts doing the same shit, throws the dude up on the wall, you know, and starts fucking shit up again. And then you realize that's what happened. Yes. Before. So um, Ben gets thrown up against the wall and he gets impaled like the reverse crucifix with his neck snapped. Then ghost pans into the next room where Dylan has the crucifix stabbed in his eye and the girl's kind of left there screaming, dealing with the idea that she's potentially got the spawn of Satan inside her. And that's roughly that whole idea of the story. That's what's going on. They're very short, quite sharp, but because they spanned over the entire film, it draws it out, makes the story seem a lot longer than they are. The right. interesting thing, again, and always seems to happen, the etymology and the names of these characters. Here's Dylan. So Dylan was the Asian guy, the, the filmographer. As an actor, he's clearly Asian. We can tell that. You could blindfold him with a, a, a pair of shoelaces. I looked up the Southeast Asian equivalent of Dylan for this, right? Just to see what it had come up with. And surprisingly, it makes sense. 
Dylan in Chinese is broken down to the sound D and Yang. D means low and Yang means IQ. So Dylan is someone through the filter of the Chinese language means low IQ. But when we look at this as a stereotypical horror trope, the characters make really dumb decisions. And in this case, Dylan's choice costs him his life. Instead of sleeping with her and getting a little bit of tail and prolonging his life, he gets killed straight away. Often in this film, when they're interacting before she gets possessed, she keeps calling Dylan dumb because he's failing multimedia class and often talks down to him saying that he can't comment on the script because he's not smart enough. So he has a low IQ. That is Dylan. Wow. Sure. And he shows it, right? He shows it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drew, what are some other things that you could blind Dylan with? <laughs> um, ramen noodles. That was so funny, man. <laughs> ramen noodles. <laughs> Shoelaces, huh? That's pretty good, man. I never that heard that. Good one. That's really good. Chinese blindfold. Um, next character, Molly. Molly Simon. So Molly is the diminutive of the feminine name Mary. Whereas Simon is a boy's name in Hebrew and Greek origins, meaning to hear, hearing, or listening. Molly listens to the disembodied voice of the ghost haunting underneath the school, listening to its words, and as a result becomes a new vessel for her baby, not unlike the Virgin Mary, to be born. So she's hearing it, and Molly is the abbreviated version of Mary. So she's like, well, also, Simon kind of sounds, and I'm not even trying to make a joke here. Uh, Simon almost sounds like semen, right? And if you're trying to impregnate this chick, you yeah. know, with some kind of demon semen, um, that that is kind of an interesting take right there, right? Like uh, some kind of weird uh, death spawn coming out of this chick. And the last one, Ben. So he's our nerdy guy with the boom mic listening in the whole time. In Latin, it's a baby name that uh, means Ben, or and Ben means blessed, from Benedictus, meaning blessed as well. However, in Middle English, Ben means within, and from the Old English, binanen, within is inside or into, equivalent to being inside of. So if we look at this inversion of their story, he is blessed and cursed at the same time because he is the man inside of Molly to give his seed to bring about the Antichrist. Mm. Yeah, that one goes deep. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's Literally. it's uh that's pretty interesting. I, the 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 whole thing about all of these things that you guys have done, even since before I got involved, you know, talking about these these uh, different movies and and all this different shit, is that the names always, without exception, there's something to them, right? You can always like tie a path in. So that's that's just kind of a wild thing to me. That yeah, yeah you wouldn't think that all of these directors are into this esoteric shit. Do you think it's a coincidence? Do you think that it's easy to find these things? Or like, you know, if you, if you break them down in different languages, you can kind of spin these things together in a way that you want. Or do you think that these are always done intentionally? I have and a feeling. Too, Sorry, Bob, you guys. It's, it's too much to be coincidence, right? Like it, if it wasn't every single time, I think. Yeah. It happens every time. Yeah. I think somebody has a job where they're researching names to tie it into the story. That's where I'd be really interested to speak to someone who's gone to university film school and see if there's an entire unit around writing of characters' names and how that name can tell a story. There's got to be something to it. 
as a methodology for driving the story, like at a subconscious level. There has to be something there. Well, yeah, because not any, like, I, I haven't really heard too many people focus on it as, as much as you do, Drew. You know, like, you, you pay attention to these things. Um, what do you call it, the etymology of the name? or Yeah, so the root the, words of the, 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 and meaning behind the names, where they came Yeah, from. I haven't heard anyone else really talk about it. I'm sure that there are other people that do, but I haven't paid attention to any of the shit that they say about it. And every time that you find something about these characters, it's always something that makes sense and adds to the story. So I just wonder how how valid that is for them. You know what I mean? If that's something that they actually focus on or if it's something that's coincidental, it seems in my head that it's got to be coincidental. But like Bob said, it's over and over again. So it's almost to the point where it just can't be. So it's just right. weird. It's always something that's so... Like, at a certain point, you have to realize, like, dude, this is intentional. Maybe it's like, remember, in Pixar films, they always hide one of the characters from another film in a scene somewhere, and that's like their right, animators' right, right. little Easter eggs. Maybe this is what writers originally did, because as a writer, you yeah. don't get the most notoriety for a film. It's always the actors and the director. Sure. So maybe that was their way of putting a stamp of themselves in films. And it's not really esoteric or conspiratorial anyway it's just putting their fingerprints in the films yeah it's just mm. a little easter egg that they wanted to put in there yeah it very well could me. just be that or yeah. you know i do have this overarching theory that um they put stuff like this in all sorts of things just to drive people that do research crazy just to make it's working kind of create cons- you know the the typical conspiracy theorist that believes wild shit right and then, and then you can point at the entire community and say, "See, they're crazy because of this one guy." Well, dude, that's the thing. Like, that's why I kind of wanted to, um, you know, hopefully soon we can talk about that movie, the the Obama movie. Everyone's talked about it, right? I don't oh, know if dude, you guys don't have heard watch it. It. Mm-hmm. It, it. It is. You haven't seen it yet, Bob? Uh uh-uh. uh dude, you're missing out. It is incredible, but at the same time, it sounds kind of like what you were talking about, where it's like, dude. Why would Obama attach his name to this movie? Because there's so much shit there that conspiracy theorist people have been talking about for so long. And it's just going to be like, yeah, we're exposing this ourselves. And it's just to make us feel weird. There's that school of thought. Or, you know, it's based off of a book, right? So he didn't just, you know, Obama and his husband didn't just come up with these things by themselves, right? (laughs) they 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 base this off of someone else's work but at the same time man it does drive you crazy i've watched that damn movie like 10 times just like i've I've looked at the different symbolism in there and uh yeah man i don't want to you know devolve too much there but exactly what you're saying to where you know if you're researching and if you're in the know or if you think you're in the know you're gonna fucking go crazy when you see these different messages out there Mm -hmm. and maybe that's intentional yeah yeah, that's like yesterday I was trying to explain to my wife the, the name and the etymology behind the Santa character on this. And she sat there and looked at me like, okay, and, and I'm sitting yeah. there like frantically, the conspiracy theorist, like, are we making, can you making those connections? It's just a name. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm thinking too much of it, but you're right. It definitely has an ability, these types of films and conspiracy in general to hook people in and almost like drain their energy and their attention. Well, that's the thing. Nonsensical stuff that doesn't really matter. After talking with her, Drew, did you feel maybe like you are putting too much energy into the name? Possibly. Possibly. That's what's wild, isn't it? 
Like, it, there's two sides to every fucking story. Absolutely, there is, man. Absolutely. That brings us to story number two, which is, I believe, the Changeling story, Ryan. This is, is your little favorite. So how about yeah. you take the lead on that one? Love it. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, you, you have these, uh, you call them African Canadians. I thought that was beautifully done. I, very, uh, very nice and, and inclusive there for these folks. And, and yeah, man, it's just an interesting story. I don't know much about the names. Um, Scott Peters, it looks like is the, the officer. I'm not a hundred percent sure on the wife's name. If you have that handy, uh, that is Kim and their son is Will. Okay. Will, you said Kim? Kim. Kim. Yeah, Kim Peters. Okay. Um, and then Scott Peters. Yeah, man, these uh these three kind of a yeah, almost a dysfunctional marriage. They're going out, they're trying to uh cut down a Christmas tree on someone else's property. And, you know, the the dad's a cop. So, you know, not really leading the best example for his young son, but they're going out there, the mom's bitching the whole time. And um, then they get out there, they cut their tree down. And as they're dragging the tree back, they lose this kid. And the kid um, almost gets in, caught in like another dimension for a little while. Right. Like he, he gets lost even before he comes out of this, like almost like a tree of life. It seems like yeah. there's this tree that's got a hollow point in it that, the kid pops out of later and it's just it's a matter of minutes or moments even maybe not even a full minute where they they lose this kid and uh kid just pops up and he's he's weird he's quiet even more so than normal he seems like he's observing he's frowning a lot and he doesn't really he he can't adjust he can't acclimate to like what's going on around he's just hanging out observing and it's it, what i thought was kind of cool is when they get back home um, you know, after the kid was lost for a short amount of time out in the snow, they get back home and they're trying to just have a normal Christmas. The, the husband and the wife, right. Sitting there, dad's drinking a beer, which, you know, drinking a beer with spaghetti, not my thing. I mean, that's too many carbs, dude. That's Genuine a lot. Italian. That is heavy. That's heavy shit. You're going to sleep in 15 seconds after you eat that meal. But yeah, this dad's drinking some beer uh, they're about to have spaghetti. The kid's just shoveling spaghetti in his mouth, just like an animal. I mean, like, like he's never like, eaten before, nonstop. Right? right? Yeah, he's never had spaghetti, and uh, he loves it. I mean, he this kid's just shoveling this spaghetti down his throat, and um, you know the the dad tries to intervene, say, "Hey, dude, slow down. You're you're gonna get sick, whatever." And the changeling stabs the the dad with a fork. Uh, that he's eating with with spaghetti hanging out of his mouth it's a creepy little scene and um the dad's about to hit the the changeling and the changeling doesn't flinch doesn't do anything weird he's just staring right at him he's just like what the fuck are you gonna do to me and the mom is is getting in the middle saying like don't do this whatever you know i'll i'll discipline him myself you go in there and do your thing dad goes away mom scolds the changeling for a little bit puts the the changeling to bed and you don't know up until later that the kid's a changeling. You get the vibe, though, that something's off with the kid, right? But it's definitely not right. Yeah, yeah. Just the whole way that he's he's acting, man. Like, that's why I'm calling him a changeling. I would call him a kid. But obviously, you know, there, this uh, this episode's full with spoilers. So 
it's just it's it's wild to me because I had an experience like this, and I'll get back into the story a little bit, but I had this really, really weird thing happen to me with dog, dude. And it was wild. It, it sounds goofy and it sounds funny even when I say this, but it was very, very strange because I, you guys both wear glasses, right? So let me, let me, we'll just take a sidestep real quick. You guys both wear glasses. I don't know how bad your vision is. Can you see far distance without your glasses on? No, I can't say long pretty, distances. Pretty, yeah, distance isn't a problem. Okay. It's stuff up, it's stuff up close that I have trouble oh, with. Between us, we've got perfect vision, Bob. Awesome. Yeah, man. Jeez, you guys need to like cut yourselves in half and fuse together, be a perfect man. But no, um, so so I mean, Drew, this might be more relatable to you, but Bob, just imagine like the way that you see up close is like the way that you see far. It's just blurry. You can't see shit. So I wake up uh, one morning at like, I mean, this is winter. This is probably two years ago, almost exactly where it's cold as fuck outside where I'm at. And we didn't have a fence in my front yard at this point. And I wake up to hearing Kim screaming at one of my dogs, Moo, just screaming at her. And they're outside, and Moo is chasing coyotes down the street, like just running. I live in a rural area. Um, It'd be real easy for a dog to just disappear, and, like, you'll never see her again. We don't have the fucking weird chip shit in them. Um, They didn't have their collars on because they just woke up and whatnot. So she's gone. She ran down the street, and I run outside in my underwear, dude. Like, I'm fucking booking down the street in my underwear, no glasses on, because I just hear her screaming. So my gut reaction is just wake up, go fix the problem right away. So I'm running outside. I Kim's crying. She's freaking out because the dogs ran away. And I'm like, I'll go get her. And I run down the street, and I see her. I'm squinting my eyes, and I see this white and black dog in the distance. And she books down farther, like out of my vision. So I chase after her, and then... I'm looking around. One of my neighbors came outside because they heard us yelling and say, like, oh, where, where'd your dog go? Whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. I can't even see. I don't have my glasses on. I can't see a damn thing. If you see her, please, you know, let us know. Call us, whatever. And then Kim tells me as I'm walking back, moves back, moves in the in the front yard. I didn't see her go back there. No one fucking saw her go back there. Moo basically ran I don't know, maybe an eighth of a mile away. And then it's just like back in the front yard. And I thought that was so fucking weird. Like, I'm not saying that she got swapped out for another entity or anything, but it was the weirdest shit, dude. And now maybe it was because I was half asleep or whatever, but we joke around all the time saying that she's a changeling. Like she's here just observing what we're doing. And, and uh, I don't know, man, it was a weird, weird feeling. She's bit me a couple times since she's been back. Like she's bit me in the face one time. Um, Did she watch you sleep? She's a weird dog, dude. She was kind of weird before, but she's she's extra weird now. I'm not saying like, and and maybe it's in my head, but she's fucking weird, dude. She's a very strange dog. If you try and cut her nails, she'll kill you. You know, like she's a weird dog. So that's why she's a mutt. I found her. uh, I found she's a stray dog. I don't know what she is. I rescued her like randomly on the side of the road. It was raining one night and uh, saw this dog in the middle of the road, just opened my door just to see what was going on. She just jumped right in my car and just was like, I'm going with you. So, you know, kept her from then. But dude, it's just like you you, you get what I'm getting at here. Like just like the, the way that things can happen if we're living in some simulation or some weird 
situation where shit can get swapped out and like interdimensional shit. It was a creepy thing, man. And like, that's why this story resonates with me so, so hard is because this kid just got misplaced for just a second. Like my dog was probably gone longer than this kid was gone. And then, you know, the dog comes back and the dog's a little weird, dude. Uh, I'm going to have to tell my story now because that's just freaking me out. Yeah. This whole idea of changelings and it's and it goes back into Celtic Britain, the folklore around fairy folk when kids would go into the forest and disappear and they'd right. be swapped with a changeling and the changeling would live in your house, almost like a cuckoo bird. They place their young in human families. That's the idea. When I was a kid, I was about eight years old and I went up the bush with my dad to get some firewood and we're collecting firewood and we're chucking the logs on the back of the truck and I got bored and I wandered down this bush track. I'm walking along, a couple of k's behind me. I can hear the chainsaw just off in the distance, hearing all the birds and stuff around me, and suddenly went dead silent. Mm. Yeah, On the bushes off to the side, they started shaking, and I heard what sounded like giggling, like little voices giggling. And then on the other side, they started rustling, and I heard giggling. Naturally, it scared the shit out of me, and I ran back to the car and didn't want to tell my dad because I'd seem like a big pussy. That's what happened to me. And now if I look back at the folklore of fairy folk and the fae, that's how kids disappear. Well, and that's what's creepy too, because when you're a kid, you're so much more susceptible to that shit. So are dogs. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like dogs, you know, you see these videos of dogs and cats, especially cats, looking into like the the corner of a room and freaking out or a dog just barking, looking into like the dark hallway and shit. And obviously a kid, you know, they're not brainwashed by society. So you are susceptible to hearing these weird things going on out there. And, and and there is something to this whole, like the missing 411 shit where Mm -hmm. there's just weird stuff that goes on where society is not present. So yeah, man, that is freaky. And how many, and I think about this, we watched this movie and the kid disappears, and it's only for a split second on this, but how many real-life disappearances of kids occur where that could be, say, lost in the Rocky Mountains in below sub-zero temperatures for three days, no food, no water, and they walk out perfectly fine? Are they really your kid anymore? Have they been replaced? Well, dude, I talked about a thing that happened in Disneyland where, you know, this this, uh, it was in the Paris Disney World or whatever the fuck they got there location and um you know this girl disappears from her hotel room in the middle of the night and then like they're skyping you know and the 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 mom is like oh no my daughter's fine i'm skyping with her right now it's like do you know that that's your daughter you know like ai is very real and that with the power of disney behind them couldn't they track your flight and know that you're flying into disneyland and then swap your daughter out and then have some ai footage of her to make you think that she's fine and talking they they basically you know, this family thought that the daughter ran off with some boy that she met online and there's a track record of her talking with the boy online and they're just fine with it. You know what I mean? Uh, but for me, it's like, dude, you don't know in, unless you can touch. And even if you can touch it at this point, you don't really know what the hell's real. So that sounds yeah, like man. a plot for Taken 7 and Liam Neeson's in Euro Disneyland <laughs> shooting giant mice and dude, all sorts of stuff. Did you hear about their new cruise to their new island? Well, that's not where they have the nose. Yeah, where they have exclusive kid areas. No, that sounds fun. Jesus. Yeah. Is there a guy that looks just like Jeffrey Epstein, but he has a mustache and a hat on? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's wearing one of those fake glasses. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is yeah, it's like a 
so, something close to Jeffrey Epstein, but it's not Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. yeah. Freaky man. That's the fun thing about this story. And I think like, I don't have kids, but the idea of losing your child or have something happen to your child is probably the scariest th- thing you could ever imagine. Right, Bob, you've got oh, yeah. a whole tribe of kids there. So this one must have yeah. resonated <laughs> with you. Yeah, man. Um, you know, the the whole getting pregnant thing and, and wanting to have your kid, man. And I thought it was going to be one of those good stories, like, like, and I don't know why it was a horror movie, um, where like they just agreed, like they realized that's what was going to happen, and they agreed to it, and that was going to be the end of that story. But then she went ahead and and killed everybody. <laughs> so. Yeah, so this is the idea. What happens after he gets stabbed in the hand, Ryan? What happened with the changeling after that? Started to go through a few more uh, violent phases in the house. Yeah, so um, the thing that I remember is uh, that's most sticking out to me. I haven't seen this in a couple weeks at this point, but, um, you know, they I, I watch it fairly regularly. There's a guy that, um, you know, he he owns the land that they were stealing the tree from. And if I'm jumping ahead too far, just let me know. But the uh, the the owner of the land calls the mom somehow. I'm not sure how he gets their number or anything, but he he calls them and says, "Hey, is your kid acting weird? All this shit." And um, I think he actually names the kid by name, if I'm not mistaken, too. And you know, the mom's like, "Well, how do you know about that?" And he basically says, "That's not your kid." And she freaks out, hangs up, all this shit. And basically, she ends up believing him after a few more weird instances go down where, you know, the kid continues to act not like the kid would. The kid seemed awkward before, right? Like maybe he's on the spectrum a little bit. And that's actually something that I think kind of this this movie was highlighting really subtly is that maybe some of these kids that are on the spectrum or or are a little more uh you know special we'll say right i'm not even trying to be a dick uh to to kids but these kids that are a little different i think that they might be more susceptible to this kind of shit too right where yeah you know the the kids that have the imaginary friends the the aspergers the the autistic spectrum whatever you want to call it but Dude, yeah, it seemed like he starts acting wild and uh feral really like literally feral and then they just realize, like, yeah, dude, something's off. And I don't think that the dad is ever really made fully aware unless I'm missing no, a, the, a part of it. I think that the dad starts to get on the source. He has he gets knocked back by the wife. He wants to sleep with her and he's got his issues because this is the cop that investigated the murders. Right. So he's right. gone on like a leave of absence. He's got some PTSD going on. He wants to sleep with his wife. She knocks him back because the son's acting weird and she doesn't really feel like it's an appropriate time. So he goes off and he gets a bit sloshed in the in the lounge room drinking whiskey. And that's when the sun crawls along the ceiling like a freaking spider monkey right. and drops down and kills him. It doesn't show the murder, but we see right. the guy. Yeah. He's leant up against the wall, his hands being cut off, and he's strangled with the belt that he used to hit the changeling with earlier in the film. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, yeah, the, I mean, this, this, uh, this creature is just uh, just not doing shit that a normal kid would do. To say the least, yeah, right. kids tend not to cut their parents' hands off all that often, anyway. and then play with it. Yeah, play. Well, with I was it. going more with like the with crawling it. on the wall. Yes, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just my favorite one out of all these by far. 
So she um she manages to snag this changeling in a duffel bag and take it back out to the forest where they found the tree. And this big girl guy's there, the guy who's owns the property, which they trespass on to get the tree. And mm-hmm. he kind of starts telling the story about his family's had the land for generations and they're the only ones that can keep these creatures in check. And every now and again, they do something like this and it's okay because they're afraid of him and he's the only one that can hurt them. Right. She starts begging for her son. Is my son here? And he goes, oh, it's not up to me. It's up to them. I can't give you your son back. So she freaks out, shoots the only person that can help her, kills Earl, at which point the changelings come up to her, get really close to her face, disappear. And then we assume it's Will, her son, that walks out of that hollow tree, not wearing his clothes and starts hugging his mum, like the mm-hmm. kid's being returned. Almost like an exchange. She killed the only thing that can hurt them, so they gave the kid back. Yeah, that's the thing, is that the changeling feels like it's it's okay to give back uh, the, the person that it changed with, right? So yeah, it gives back Will. And uh, yeah, man, uh, kind of powerful, honestly. Yeah, that was a story that I thought was going to end well, like the father wasn't going to be dead, and they just get their kid back somehow, but the father's dead. She kills the guy that can save them, but she still manages to get the kid back. So it's bittersweet. It's but a it, sacrifice. It is. It's a totally a sacrifice with like a nature god or a deity, some kind of a pagan ritual. Yes. And the names again seem to tie into the story. What's well, Big Girl? That's oh, what I'm real oh, curious well, about. Here. I'm saving Big Girl for last. Scott, okay. the father. So Scott is Scottish. Um, meaning the man with the shield and based in Latin meaning shield in Hebrew, it refers to a tribe of wanderers. And this lines up with Scott's profession as a police officer who also experiences PTSD from his case and is now wandering aimlessly through life while trying to find happiness again after the events of the murder from the year before. So Scott is shield. All cops wear a badge, which is a modern day version of the shield. And he's wandering around Peter, his surname means stone or rock and he has to be the rock or the stone in his family trying to be the the constant source of strength in his family which you see him struggle with as a father when they start arguing over the dinner table with the spaghetti (laughs) now Um, what is the the meaning of spaghetti (laughs) it's peschettis and (laughs) it comes from sketty and it's uh it's italian for chinese blindfold (laughs) (laughs) will or the changeling is proto-germanic name which is a compound of the words willow will wish desire and helmes which means helm or helmet this comes across as the changeling wishing to desire the experiences of the human realm by wearing the boy's appearance as one would wear a helmet he wears the boy's face and form to infiltrate the family's life and home Wild. Yeah, the one in goal, like that was the, like just to kill him, like what was the end goal for that changeling? Seems... In the in the mythology, the the goal is that humans will raise their children. Yeah, they want to learn too, they right? Learn, like yeah. they want to kind of infiltrate. It's like they an alien race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like gray aliens. They want all the experiences that they don't have. Yeah. Um, the mother at Kim is the traditional English name Kim, short for Kimberly which means from the wood of the Royal Forest or from the Royal Forest Meadow. Forest in Old English and British folklore is a kingdom of the fairy folk and the magic. Our character Kim may not be from the folklore kingdom of the forest, 
but the story takes place with our character collecting a tree from there. So Kim has come from the forest with the tree that kind of brings about their demise as a family. Mm. Uh, and last one, Big Earl, English in origin, which means nobleman, warrior, prince, and big meaning considerable importance and seriousness. As the story tells, Earl's family has had the land for generations and his family's duty is to keep the changelings contained and in check. He is a warrior of sorts and the only person who puts fear into the creatures and the only man who knows how to hurt them. So he is the yeah. warrior that has to contain the creatures within his forest. Yeah. But then it's interesting because she gets what she wants. Kim gets what she wants after uh, she kills the big guy, right? Right, yeah, exactly. And she probably would never have got the kid back if she didn't kill him. Had to be that exchange, life for a life. Mm. Well, and what if that's because the changelings didn't actually want to be bad? They just want somebody to raise their kids and and they were actually just being released. Like the Hellraiser so idea, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, man. There's so many ways to look at it. It's like a six nine. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, man. Like I said, that's the I, to me that's by far the deepest one. The the Krampus one's good, and then uh, you know the the Alf one is fun, right, with the Santa and stuff. But yeah, dude, it just gets nuts. Yeah, which brings us to our third story, which is the Krampus story. So this third story is of Caprice, um, Duncan, Diane, Taylor, and Aunt Etta. So we've got a family who's traveling on Christmas to meet the father's estranged great aunt. Um, so they're driving through Christmas snow to get to this beautiful, almost like Germanic manor out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I laugh that one, the, the mother um, says that the uh, the house looks like it's a a place in which where she said it it looks like a house in which oh my god where is it it's a house that looks like paul bunyan and count dracula have gayed up i love way too hard at that part so they rock up to this old house and clearly the the wife and the kids have never met this woman but the father needs to go there for some reason Turns out this guy's like grifting for money. He's got a failing like multinational technology company and he needs more investors. And getting to the house, you very much get the idea that this this is a husband who's wholly focused on his work. The wife's a bit of a trophy wife, really based on um, consumerism and having tangible things. The kids are shits. Like the daughter's the one that gives the, the group at the start the keys to break into the school. So she's a bad kid essentially. And the son's just a turd. He's playing with a Krampus toy and deliberately throws it on the ground out of spite when some guy starts to talk to him about naughty boys at Christmas. And he goes, oh, yeah, well, what about this? Throws it on the ground. And the mum defends him like she mama bears and looks after him. But this is a family that I think really points out the story of bad, like punishment comes to bad people because each member of this family has something that they need to be punished for. Yeah. Yeah. Again, and they disclose people. that later, right? Yeah, that's right. They are shitty people. What yeah. did you take away from this, Bob? What did you think of the actual Krampus itself? Did you think that looked scary enough in this? Oh no, I think it. I, I like it when it's it's more of a hairy Bigfoot type creature, you know, and just big. This was very cartoony, buff guy with a fucking hat on, you know, with some some facial makeup on. Was it sexy um, Krampus? <laughs> right 
It was like frat daddy Krampus. Um, but I mean, it was the the makeup was done well. I mean, like he the head and the horns and everything were cool. Um, and I like the idea of Krampus hunting each one of them down. The very much like Predator, wasn't it? Yeah, picking them off mm. one by one. So for the listeners, yeah. if you do get to watch this, which I certainly hope you do, their car goes off the road after the father swerves to avoid hitting Krampus in the first place. And they're kind of running for their lives in the woods. And Krampus runs around with his like spiked chain whipped up of the thing, cuts the father in half, takes the son first, kills him because he's the one that, you know, defiled the Krampus statue in the first place. So he's the first victim. And the family sees a church in the middle of the woods. And the father's like, oh, we have to get in there. The church will keep us safe. We have to confess our sins. And he starts blabbing like a baby, knowing he's going to die soon. He talks about how he's been like insider trading. And the only reason he came to see the aunt was to grift money to keep them afloat because they're going to lose everything. And the wife's like, why wouldn't you tell me about this? And he starts to divulge into, oh, you know, the only way I could keep you happy was by getting you things. Look at me, a guy like me with a woman like you, it was never going to work out. And Krampus comes in through the window, kills the father, Caprice and the mother hide in um, the confessional box (laughs) in which Krampus's tongue comes underneath the door and starts licking at Caprice's boot and around her leg. The mother gets out to try and defend Caprice, gets killed. Caprice runs back to the old family like manor, gets into the house. She's safe there um, after killing Krampus, of course. So Krampus attacks her. She ends up killing him, spearing him through the neck, setting him on fire, lighting him up. And then sets him on fire. Sets him on fire. Sets the guy (laughs) on fire. At which point, the Krampus stuff kind of melts away and we're left with the helper of the house, Gerhardt, which is this creepy German dude who she's now just murdered a human being, but she just kind of skips over that aspect of it. She gets into the house, um, asks the aunt for help, like, what's been going on? Did you know about this? Did you know that it was Gerhardt all along? And Grandma's like, no, no, no. Krampus isn't an entity. Krampus is like a, a spirit that embodies people who have hate and loathing in their hearts during Christmas. So then the the daughter, Caprice, starts to feel like the grandma, the aunt set them up and she did all this to get the kids killed. So she ends up turning into Krampus, like that evil spirit inhabits her. And then we assume that Krampus kills Aunt Edda. And that's yeah. the end of that story. It was brilliant. <laughs> it's it a good brilliant. time. Yeah. There's yeah, something too awesome about like the see that fucking crazy bitch get eaten. <laughs> well, there's something about Christmas at like a, a, a wealthy house, like a big rich person's house. It hits a little different versus like a trailer park right. or something. You know what I mean? Like it's it, Christmas is more majestic. In like a, a elite person's house for some reason, right? I don't know what that is. It's that disconnect from the common person. It's like I wonder what the poor people are doing right now. It's an overabundance of wealth, physical, tangible things. It kind of ties into what Christmas right. is. Christmas is almost like the average person's attempt to gain that by having useless shit that's made by Chinese kids for two bucks an hour. Right, right. We're living up to that expectation by having. Commercial products like PlayStations and Wii. Yeah, we're overspending for yeah. a month of the year to, to try to impress or or 
like when people are are obsessed with giving good gifts, it's not to make other people happy. It's almost to make themselves feel good, right? It's like it's like I got them. Yeah, I got them the best gift that they got, or whatever, you know. But yeah, man, there's something about seeing those big houses with like the bar, you know, the house bar, like the the bar in their own home. And I'm like, damn, dude, they got like this whiskey cabinet and shit. That's cool. And a That's dedicated what I want. seating library room. And the good china, oh. the good dishes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd love to have a library. Like in, a library like would be nice. In the mansions a... in the movies where it's just freaking 20 the, foot ceilings. With and the rollable ladder everywhere. that goes up and down to access yeah, books. Yeah, but when, wow. you, when you have a library, you also have to have a cigar, like humididor, and you also have to have a fucking bar. You can't just have a library with no... At least a bar cart. to get fucked up just on. Just a little bar cart with maybe some... That leather-bound uh, desk. Yeah, some scotch and some whiskey. Yeah. yeah, a few good things. Yeah, I'm not saying, like, you you don't want, like, Smirnoff and shit in, the, in a bar like that. You want, like, <laughs> nice stuff. Yeah, Whistle pig. Good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some Whistle nice stuff. real good. Whistle pig's nice, but then you got yeah. like all you know, just uh, you, you want to really kind of. The prices it up. have just gotten crazy with whiskey. It's insane. Well, yeah, dude, Smirnoff's fucking nine dollars a bottle. I remember that was like seven dollars, not that long yeah, ago. Yeah, it's crazy. Mediocre stuff has gone through the roof. What is it? Rare uh, Eagle Rare used to be like a thirty to five dollar bottle. It's a hundred bucks now. Yeah, yeah, the the higher end stuff's gotten more expensive than the low shelf stuff, but nonetheless, imagine yeah. imagine having a bar, dude, with a with a book a whole library, and then you know I'm not a big cigar guy, but you need cigars if you're doing that kind of shit too, right? The place to package, you have to, yeah, and then a nice smoking jacket, you needed that too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's move on. All right, the the names on this one. Etta, which is the aunt that owns this elaborate manor. The name Etta is primarily a female name in English origin, which means ruler of the home. She's presented in this story as the matriarch of a wealthy family. Her extravagant home of which she rules over demonstrates the wealth in the home in which she rules over. So her name is literally ruler of the home, the home that we see the story take place. Um, We go to Caprice, which is the daughter. It comes from Italian and French roots, meaning fanciful. Um, and the meaning of fanciful is over-imaginative and unrealistic and highly ornamental and imaginative in design. So Caprice ends up being the vessel for Krampus, which in itself is a reimagining and ornamental design based on the pagan roots of the winter solstice and Christmas. So she becomes the imaginative vessel for Krampus. We go to Duncan. Uh, Duncan is a Scottish surname composed of the elements Don uh, and Kian meaning head. So Don means brown, Kian means head. So Duncan is simply the brown-haired boy. He has brown on his head, and he's, the actor has brown hair. Not a whole lot going on there, but it's quite ironic that he's actually a, a brown-haired boy. We go to Diane, which is the wife, the trophy wife. Diane is the feminine name, uh, is yeah. feminine name of Latin origin, derived from the word divinus, meaning divine. This elegant name fits our character. She's the smoking hot, stereotypical trophy wife of the rich men who tend to have them in these types of films. Like, if he didn't have the wealth and extravagance, she wouldn't have been there. And a man with wealth and extravagance has to have the divine-looking wife. Yeah, she was only like a six. 
Yeah, but he was probably like maybe a one, one point five. Yeah, he might have been a point five. Yeah, to hit. He's not as high as we are, boys. No, definitely not. <laughs> Nobody. <is>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the last one is Gerhardt, which was the the German helper who was telling them about Krampus. Uh, Gerhardt is German um, variant of Jared, which means spear or brave. Traced back to the Middle Ages, it was uh, likely used as a name to honor courageous individuals. Now, Gerhardt turns into Krampus in this film. Um, and it's ironic that the description of Krampus, when you look it up, is he is a devil with horns and hooves, goat-like legs, and a long spear-like red tongue. So mm. the descriptions of Krampus always have the spear-like tongue, and Gerhardt means brave spear or spear brave. So that ties wow. back to that. Interesting. Yeah, it, dude, it always... It That's always nice lines up in some way. Yeah. There's some kind of There's always some time. correlation that you can find. That's the now fourth... we got our fourth story, huh? Yeah, that was story three. So our fourth story is almost one that ties in with William Shatner. William Shatner is almost like the narrator right. of this whole film. He drives the story of what's going on. He's connected to these families. He's the family that we see just get murdered, he's the grandfather of. They're his grandkids. And we see that when he's looking at a family photo. But there is a tie back to that, and we won't give it away because that's the M. Night Shyamalan plot twist. But what's this story about Santa? Essentially, it's zombies versus Santa, right? Zombie elves. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what we get uh, keyed into because the first time we see Santa, he's like in the stable, and he turns around, and he's got the cut on his head. So it's it's kind of the foreshadowing shot to what's about to happen. And... And he goes and talks to his wife, and what a like. So this one was was so poorly acted. I had a hard time paying attention <laughs> to it. It was the writing and the acting with this one. Like this is the best storyline, but had the worst acting and writing. Um, yeah, the idea of it was by far it was far superior. I want to see a movie of this one really bad. Does it like get bonus million. points for having real midgets though? the elves were midgets that's a big thing for me if i see little people on a film they've got to be genuine little people not cgi tall people made to look small well that's offensive right i mean if uh if you're a midget you got to think about how i mean they're uh what are that what do you call that like able-bodiest ableist right (laughs) yeah well you're anti-little people right i I remember that like uh wee man was like raising hell about the snow white and the seven dwarves because they were hiring a bunch of like attractive Hollywood, like normal people. Yeah. Normal Heidi's or whatever you want to call them. And then, you know, Wee Man's fucked out of a fucking job that he could have had in a A list movie. So I get right. where they're coming from. If we're all going to get offended by something, I think midgets have every right to get offended by their shit, too. Right. Yeah. Like, that's where I'm at. It's, it's racism. It's something. I'm not that's sure what, what it is. It's definitely not racism. <laughs> Watch, watch movies like, watch movies like Willow, where there's, you know, entire communities of little people. It's fucking little people. You big. It, it is little people. Right? <laughs> I, I know, thank you for holding. I know how you like to be so so politically correct. Speaking yeah. of little people, I've always found it fascinating. There's two types. There's one that have the stereotypical dwarf head with the large forehead, like the proportions are off. 
And then you have the ones that have normal looking heads, but really tiny bodies. And they're just like normies. If they're sitting in a car, you think you're looking at an average person. Then they open the door and they get out and they're all like. Yeah. Yeah. It's two different proportion skews. All right. Like it's. (laughs) Do you think they have bad blood between each other? Like one thinks they're a bit holier than the other. I'm not sure. Like uh, midgets. Yeah, like black people against like light skinned black people for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. I yeah. mean, why would they not? Like the the, the um the beat. ones with the big foreheads, they're gonna feel like the other ones think that they're hotter or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then the other ones are gonna feel like they're hotter, so these other ones are like giving them a bad name. So I get it. You know, they need some drama in their lives to feel like, you know, normal. Right. I don't know. And if it doesn't exist, we've just caused the schism amongst little people and set them back thirty years. Yeah, it's the, the yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna start. They're like, we were almost over it, and then we listened to Conspiracy <laughs> Theater three thousand, the episode where they talked about a Christmas horror story, and now we're all fighting again. Yeah, I don't know if that's gonna happen, but it'll be uh, hilarious. Trace it back <laughs> to us. We were the spark that ignited the feud again. And then the the screenshot. Oh yeah, is we just do this. fucking hate you. I don't want to be called little people. I don't want to be lumped in with you. Damn foreheads. I'm a dwarf. They see the, yeah. God. And then they take a thumbnail. We're just on a news, and it's just this picture right here. Bob's got his glasses off. Like Drew's laughing like a like an evil fuck, and then I'm just sitting here red from my drinks. Yeah, man. It is what it is. Fuck these people. But this one was so good because it 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 is it does tie in. So William Shatner's got his coworker, the weatherman. William Shatner's kind of getting tanked and and like talking to the people in the um, in the studio with him still. And he's trying to say Merry Christmas to everybody, and he says Merry Christmas to the weather guy, and the weather guy like slams a notepad on the window and said Fuck Christmas, old Storm like, and Norman. The fuck is that guy's problem? Storm and Norman, yeah. Now, do you think he's an alcoholic? Because that's how they actually painted him in the breakdown of the movie. I don't think he's an alcoholic. He's just a DJ. Yeah, I think he's just getting tanked because it's like Christmas Eve. Yeah, I thought he was just drinking because it's Christmas and he's like on a double shift. Yeah, right. If I had to work Christmas Christmas Eve as a disc jockey, I'd be getting lit up too. Yeah, for sure. He's just, you know, getting tanked because he has to work. Um, And he's just kind of letting it loose, like doesn't care. He's talking about all sorts of shit. Um, which is amazing. I love William Shatner. Yeah, um, Shatner is the shit. Do you like him better than Picard? Whoa. Oh, for sure, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, Picard's pretty cool though. I think. Yeah, it had its time and place. You know, Next Gen is a better series, but Kirk is the better captain. Sure. Oof, yeah, but nothing compares to the star, the original Star Wars movies. I mean, uh, Star Trek movies. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing compares to the original. I just Land pissed off time. that. That's going to piss more people off than anything else we talk about. Is that I accidentally said Star Wars when I meant Star yeah. Trek, dude? That just made somebody like what the fuck? Somebody's, somebody's big what is mad. that ship called? The ship? Um, in Star Trek, yeah, uh, the Enterprise. You really It'd be like the... calling that the Millennium Falcon. I was going to say you missed the opportunity to call it the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people want your head on a fucking stake. Yeah. But the original movies were 
were rad, man. Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Uh, Spock, yeah. right? Yeah. Shatner what just has this time. appeal behind him. He's like a big lardo at the moment as a human being, but God, he has presence on the screen. This guy must have taken most of his profits from this film just for his paycheck alone. Right. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I couldn't get into it, to be honest. It was a little before my time, and I, I was never a huge fan, to be honest. Well, man, old William so. Shatner stuff is fantastic. I'm losing command. I'm losing the Enterprise. Keep hang on and on. I'm alone. I'm losing command. Captain, I've lost command. I've lost the Enterprise. Oh, yeah, for sure. Big fan. So the basic story of the, the Santa horror story in this is that somehow one of the elves has been infected with what you think is a zombie virus, it spreads yeah. through the population of the elves and he's going like floor to floor in his big castle factory type of setup, cutting heads off, killing elves left, right, yeah. center. His wife is infected. Kills yeah, his wife. he's uh, like the, what was the, the name of the spanky or some shit, the first elf? <laughs> Spot that, like, shiny. His name's shiny. shiny. Yeah, That shiny. was the best um, because... He's sitting there looking a yeah. little shitty and he just fucking, what? Just... Fucking cuts his hand open. Oh, come on, Shiny. Eat some cookies. Cookies help elves. Oh. I said, I don't want a goddamn cookie. And then they fucking just <laughs> he fucking cuts just, his ah! hand off. Wild. Yeah, dude. Yeah. That yeah. is one of the craziest scenes in there. If you're high or something watching it, you're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so I that love- was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and this is the guy that keeps coming back. He throws him off the top of a balcony after slicing, slicing the top of his head off. Throws him off a balcony. Shiny comes after him at like the basement level. He's like, I'm gonna kill you, you red dressed up Christmas cunt. I'm gonna eat your fucking brains out, you Christmas cunt. Fuck you! I'll break that fucking staff in your rosy cheeked ass, you fucker! I'm sorry, Shiny. I know it isn't your fault. You don't have the Christmas balls, you fucking. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they, they really let Santa have it after eating out of his hands for years. All the aggression comes out. He's got this amazing fucking gold staff that's. Like this spear axe thing that he's just chopping heads off. He gets out yeah. of the elevator and it's just like heads rolling, rolling out of on the these fucking, fucking elevator. Elves. <laughs> it's so rad. He's just laying down the slaughter on these these infected elves. Yeah, it was a bloodletting for sure. It's, it's cool. It reminded me of like the early days of The Walking Dead when you just had the scenes when they were just going to town on walkers. He was doing this to elves throughout most of this movie. And I thought that's all it was going to be. And he gets to the stables where the reindeer are. And you think he's maybe going to fly off to save Christmas or whatever. But that's when we get the Shyamalan plot twist at the end of this film. Which is quite big. I didn't see it coming. I never expected it. Nope. Are you talking about the, the mall? Yeah. Scene? So, Go yeah. Ahead. So the whole time 
you hear William Shatner mentioning this mall scene. Like that something's going down at the mall. There's a hostage situation. You know, he keeps kind of telling it that it's going down there. And he's like, oh, the weather guy's down there. We just hope everybody's safe. And I think even Kaylee was like, it's the weather guy. Like she called it early. Um, and dude, fucking the weather guy had gone crazy. Hated Christmas so much he went on, he just fucking had this weird fantasy where he was Santa Claus and he just laid down this insane slaughter and then he wakes up right when the cops are coming in and flashing him in the face with their lights and he realizes what he's done. It's so insane. <laughs> it's the only one that didn't have a predictable ending. It was so good. He even had the flashbacks. Every elf that attacked him or he killed it lined up with him killing someone. Like one of the elves stabs yeah. him in the feet with scissors and it cuts to the woman in real life. He's hiding behind like the, like the, the present like the Starbucks employee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stabbing him in the foot. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why, I, like, this is the one that I wish would be a whole movie. Like, it could be so good. Like, Think how long bit, the, the zombie killing could have more... went for. Yeah. Well, in, in just a little bit of backstory about that weather guy um, and why he was the way he was and what made him snap. And then kind of, you know, you play out the, you play out the, you know, as it did where it's Santa Claus and then it comes to find out that it's the dude. And then you replay the whole thing, like from the aspect that it's him at the mall. Like, and you could make a whole movie out of it and it'd be epic. It'd be so good. Because, man, that idea is great. The writing and the acting were... They were not good. Well, Shatner Santa, was, that, was their Santa only did, Yeah. Santa was not... <laughs> that, that actor was not on his best day. My <laughs> wife so asked bad. why Santa was dressed like a pirate because he was walking around with a belt and a vest on the whole time. <laughs> he looked like a badass though yeah he looked more like a viking he even had the plats and stuff going on right you know what i noticed at the very end of that movie which is the most telling part what do you got? building where the soup kitchen was where this whole thing went down was building number 36 36 Ooh. in gematria is 18 multiplied by two so in numerology and judaism the number 18 stands for life so if it's 1818, it represents two lives. This guy's story is two stories. He has the life of Santa in his right. delusion and the life of being the guy that just reports the weather. Wow. Well, you also have with with 36, the, the obvious thing, right? The three six, three sixes. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the biggest tell always. Anytime I hear 36, that's the first thing I think of. Yep. Weird. But yeah, it's... Uh... Man, it threw me. It it was an M Night Shyamalan twist, like at the end where you find yeah, out yeah, it's dude. the weather guy. It's so good. Yeah, that is because uh, yeah, that's something that you you'll forget. Even if you see that like a time or two, you'll forget that if you you know don't watch it for yeah, a little while. It's not linked to anything. It's its own yeah. story until the end, mm -hmm. and then you realize that it's linked to. Like you don't, you just, cause it's, you have all these other stories, right? 
And so you're just thinking of it as one of those stories. You're not thinking of it tying in with the William Shatner radio station stuff. Yeah, I think like, yeah, what you're saying is like everything is tied together so much that you're figure you're trying to figure out like what's the next thing in these four stories that are tied together. This thing just kind of comes out of left field and it's just like boom, here it is. So yeah, that is the 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 punchline for lack of a better term of that movie. And yeah, man, it's uh I think it's well delivered, dude. Like I said, this is one of my favorite fucking Christmas movies by far. I mean, yeah. Oh, top three. and I didn't know it was a genre. And so we went down just a rabbit hole of looking at watching trailers of Christmas horror movies, just one after another going, holy shit, these are fucking Did you? insane. Yeah. yeah. And so we got a big long list of tr- of Christmas horror movies to watch. Even until the end of the year to watch them. <laughs> well, it's Christmas Eve here, so I've got probably quite a few more to watch before then. But even Dan <laughs> and Storm and Norman's names line up pretty well. I'll leave Storm and Norman for last because I think he's probably the most impressive character in the film. But Dangerous Dan, which is Shatner, the narrator, the driver of the story. Biblically, his name in Hebrew means he judged. Uh, It's a short form for Daniel. Um, In Middle English, um, Danger, so Dangerous is just his nickname for the radio show. So Dangerous is Anglo-Norman and Old French from Threatening and Difficult. Uh, Dan plays the role of the narrator, storyteller, driver of the story who presents us with the viewer's tales of danger in which the characters are judged for their actions. We then go to Storm and Norman. Norman is a, a boy's name in English origin, meaning man from the north. Who's his schizophrenic other half? The man <laughs> from the north himself, Santa. Um, Stormy is a German-Dutch name and Scandinavian, which is a nickname of a man who was blustery or stormy in temperament. Now, we know as the weather reporter, Storm and Norman is an angry guy. He puts the sign up on the glass saying, fuck Christmas, and he's swearing in the background the whole time. So he's got this duality of two characters. He's the man of the North and the angry weather reporter, which is ironic when you look at the name Norman because the Normans themselves were a split people. They were Vikings who were half French. So they're a divided people as well. That's the breakdown that I could find on those. Norman has something to do with like the Norse too, yeah. right? Or no? Yep. Norman means Northmen. So the Norse. That's what the English so would the call Norse. them. Which means Northman. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So, this so yeah, he was a, a tongue in. and cheek throwaway to Santa by calling him Norman, the Northman. Yeah. I love it, man. Fun movie. Something good to watch with like friends or whatever. Yeah, know? it's not it's not too serious. It's just fun. Yeah, dude. It's, it's definitely get back to those kinds of things. Yeah, man, it's 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 a fun movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I would like to see the Santa one turned into a movie. If anybody listening has any power, the Santa <laughs> one being a whole movie would be fucking badass. Pitch it to Netflix. They're desperate for shows. They'll take right. it. <laughs> so what? Well, SAG just got off strike. So true. We're gonna get a lot of shit content now. Finally, (laughs) twelve months to filter out. Anyway, if any of that's real, yeah, no shit. So, what would we give these films? It's another Christmas one. Let's give it stockings for conspiracy (laughs) theory, and maybe uh, hot chocolates for as a film. So, as a film, Uh I'd give this maybe a five, purely based on. Doesn't have the best actors, 
at times the jump around between stories was a bit much to follow, but the individual them stories, individual stories themselves were, were pretty good. I'd give it a five. Probably similar idea to what Bob's kind of got on that, but we'll soon see. As for conspiracy, not a huge amount in this, but I'm pleasantly surprised by each of the characters' names tying into each of the individual four stories. So I'd give that maybe an eight. So an eight for conspiracy Ooh. and five for a film. Interesting. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd give it a solid six for a movie. Like, I think it's it's a fun movie. Like, it's a fun concept. Like, it's a definitely an original concept, which we don't get those very often. So um, the acting and the writing is somewhat terrible. Um but the <laughs> concepts the concepts are all really solid and it's it's at least worth the watch. Um and as far as stocking, so yeah, so I'd give it a solid six of hot chocolates. <laughs> and um stockings I'd probably do um because it's not I mean there's the acting was so bad I had a hard time focusing on on whether or not it had acting's rough stuff. Acting is rough. rough. Um, I didn't see a ton except for the really, really esoteric stuff that you know is goes back to the pagan origins of Santa and Krampus and and all of that. And you start reading into some of that. Um, so I'd give it maybe another six because it's kind of middle of the road. Interesting. Okay, so stockings are conspiracy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Hot chocolates for film. Hot chocolates. I mean, a tough crowd. You guys are. I, I. This is a fun movie. It's so fun. Um, now I, I do like kind of uh, cheesy movies, campy movies. We'll call them. You know, Jeepers Creepers. I like shit like right. that where it's like yeah. clearly bad, but it's fun. You know what I mean? It reminds right. me of like being scared as a child watching these movies. Um, so I'll give this a, a 7.5 for the hot chocolates. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of my favorite, um, not Christmas movies, but movies to watch around the holiday season. Right. I'll watch this randomly. Like when I'm passing out at, at night, you know, I'll throw it on before I go to sleep or whatever. So 7.5 for the hot chocolates for the can for the stockings. I said candy canes, but for the stockings, um, I think that there's something to the the conspiracies. You know, Drew gave it an eight. I think that's that's pretty generous. I'll go. I'll, I'll match that eight. I think that you know, with the uh, with the the names, which I hadn't even thought about before. Also, the changeling, which I think is a very valid, realistic thing. Um, yeah. Zombies. Anything with zombies. If you can tie zombies in with elves somehow, I think that's great. And then. Um, you know, just it, it's got something for every conspiracy theorist out there. Mass shootings, right? Mass killings, if you want to call it that. Um, you know, the the paranormal aspect to it. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll match that eight. So I'm I'm probably you know highest on it out of all three of us here. Seven point five and eight, respectively. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's worth the watch. And it's, it's not that it's, it's not fun. that long either. It's quite short. No, it's a hundred minutes. Yeah. Easy to get through, yeah. something to chuck on. Hour and a half, give or take. You know, it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it was on, a good link. That's it. Watch it. Yeah. Well, there you go, okay. gentlemen. That was our second Christmas film for the year. Our very first year of Conspiracy Theater 3000. 
We're finishing the year off, though, with a bit of predictive programming, something that may foretell 2024. The Netflix film, which we alluded to earlier in this, Leave the World Behind. Now, we know lots of people have done this already. It's probably been spoken about and shared everywhere, but we haven't done it. Yeah. That's the key. We haven't done it. I've got some takes on it too, man. A lot of takes. I haven't even seen it yet. So uh, I definitely need need to watch it soon. It's uh, It keeps popping up and I'm like, yeah, I really want to watch it. But they're putting it in our faces for a reason too, you know. Yeah, so, that's the thing. Um, yeah, so I want to watch it and see what they're telling us on purpose and what's kind of more hidden under the layers. Because there's going to be a deeper message through all of it. And unfortunately, a lot of people are going to just pay attention to the really overt kind of in-your-face shit. So we'll see. I'm interested. Absolutely. And we might see a bit of a change with the format in this show, trying to incorporate a bit more of a, a watch-long element to future episodes. So a bit, maybe a few teething issues until we balance out the right balance of breakdown and watch-long. But uh, big things happening with the show, fellas, and I'm enjoying it immensely. Hell yeah, man. It's a blast, dude. Yeah, I love it, man. Sorry I was a little late hopping on today, but uh, yeah, dude, just uh, having a good time. It's great. Fuck yeah, man. Something yeah, I watch movies and chatting about it with my with my boys, so. Yeah, dude. I'm getting Can't fucked have a up. time. Yeah. That's what it's about for me. It's just getting fucked up talking about movies. <laughs> <laughs> and and now yeah, you know man. what a Chinese blindfold is, Ryan, so you're safe. If the Chinese <laughs> yeah, are in America, you're set. I've got plenty of shoelaces vernacular. here. How is that a, not a joke over there? Dude, I don't know, man. Australia has a knack for finding, like, gimmicky, fun ways to be offensive. And I applaud you guys for it. It's called casual racism. I think Australians racism, have better, better casual racism ch- Chinese, Chinese jokes than we do, too. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that's, that's probably the funniest thing I've heard uh, as far as anti-China. And I'm not anti-Chinese people, by the way. Anti-Chinese government. And I'm also no, pro- I'm sure all of your shoelaces are firmly in your shoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone should be at least racist in a joking way, I think, too. You Fuck know, yeah, if you yeah, can't make fun of your to. fucking friends that look slightly different than you, what are you even doing with your life? Are, are they really your friends if you can't yeah. rag shit on their parents? Come on. Yeah. yeah you should, nobody should so. be that soft. Yeah, man. So... I appreciate you guys. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. And on that note, it is Christmas Eve here. So wishing you gentlemen a very Merry Christmas. Tomorrow's Christmas yeah, Day for me. Christmas Eve for you. Catch us all next time and have a wonderful new year. Merry Christmas. Later. Over, man.